Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Oh, and Shiloh and worship team, Mark, all you guys, thank you for all that Papa worship today, all that Father's worship. Um, before I pray for us, I, I want to tell you a little story. This year, um, as you guys, all of you know, I think, um, I have six children, and at the, at the beginning of my family is a son who is 22 years old, and at the end of the family is a son who is seven, and there are girls in the middle, so I have bookend boys. And um, this year, uh, the two children that have given me a gift so far happen to be my oldest and my youngest, both of my sons. So about three days ago, we were at the beach on vacation, and um, we were going out for a, for a walk at night on the beach, and Harrison just slips up behind me, and he, he puts his arm around my shoulder, and he, uh, he says, Dad, I have a gift for you. I was like, wow, okay. And he says, it's all I have right now. And it was a shell <laughs> that he picked up on the side of the road. And, uh, you know, we laughed for a minute, and he just said, I, I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I just I treasure you as a father. And I'm sitting here looking at the shell, and my heart is just melting. And then this morning, um, I got up, and, and I have a very early Sunday morning routine. And Noah, um, he, he, uh, he doesn't, he has never let Jane and I sleep in beyond like six o'clock in the morning. So he comes plopping in and he goes, hey, dad, I, uh, you need to go upstairs and get in bed. So I was like, oh, okay. So I went and I thought, oh, okay, I know the family routine, the breakfast in bed routine for the special person. So I went and got in bed. And so he comes in a couple minutes later and he is I mean, he is so proud of himself. And he's like, all right, Dad. And he crawls up in bed with me. And what he's done is he's made me breakfast. And breakfast from a seven-year-old is always going to be an adventure, right? So it's a, gla it's a glass of milk. And it's, it's a, a little piece of cheese toast. And Jane said, you know, he made the cheese toast himself. And looking at the cheese toast, I went, I can believe he made the cheese toast himself. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. It was the best piece of cheese toast I ever had. And, and the point is this, yeah. Just in worship, especially with the word Nancy had, it was so appropriate because I, you know, uh, she said, you know, we're talking about just what we bring to God as his children. And it's not that we have to come up and, you know, we don't have to impress God. He's already got it all. Um, you know, we don't have to like switch into another personality mode or, you know, get our act together. We just love God with, with what we have. We give him whatever we have, even if it's a shell or a piece of toast, the treasures of our heart are amazing to God. And, and I, today I just rejoiced. I said, Lord, you know, I just thank you that I have two sons that are growing up in, in, into freedom and just the freedom to love. And I want to pray that for us as a congregation today because the sermon happens to be right there as well. So let me pray. And I'm also, as I pray, I want to include the church in Charleston who is going through, I can't imagine what life is like for them this week on this Father's Day. So Father, just as as we turn to you and to your word and to what you have said to us about life and who we are and who we are to be, Lord, we are mindful of a, of a hurting congregation just two states away who lost uh, their senior pastor and an associate pastor tragically this week. And Father, we just, just right now, like with the, the, the friends of the paralytic who they carried him to Jesus, Lord, we do that right now in prayer. We carry this congregation to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you that, Lord, you bring resurrection life where there is death. Um, God, you are, you are the one who comes in, and Lord, you bring light in place of darkness and joy in place of mourning. And we ask you to comfort our brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for, for us as a congregation that 
Um, Father, we, we, we prize excellence and doing our best. And God, when we put something together, we want it to be beautiful. But Lord, let us never get away from the simple treasures of loving you with who we are, of growing up into freedom ourselves, and then being a part of just sharing the, the, the freeing love of God, of our Savior Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs it. So we thank you, God. We love you. You are the best Abba, the best Papa of all, and we, we worship and adore you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, back in the 60s, the late 60s, um, in London, two young men named Ace and John uh, went to Herod's store, and they bought a pet lion, okay? Because in the 60s, in London, you could go out and buy a pet lion. Believe it or not, you hear about the 60s and how they were all, they were all that. And so these guys went out, and they literally bought um, a pet lion and, and when they went to buy this thing, they discovered that this, this little lion cub was the fifth generation that had been born into captivity. So the four generations before this little lion cub, they had all grown up in the zoo, and this thing was about as domesticated as a lion could be. Um, they discovered that the lion's name was Marcus, and they renamed the lion Christian, which is kind of ironic and cool, especially when you're preaching a sermon and, you know, you just get that little tidbit. And so, Christian the lion literally moved into their London apartment. Now, my mother is from England, so when, when you talk about a London flat, uh, a London flat is small. So, they moved this thing in there, and they just had fun with this lion. Um, they, they took it shop at w shopping with them. They took it on bus rides. Uh, they walked it in Hyde Park. And as Christian began to get bigger, they realized they had a problem, and so they, they, they started taking these, uh, these little day trips out to the countryside to, to play, just to exercise his growing lion muscles, and, and finally they hit a, a real place of dilemma, um, and the dilemma is that a full-grown male lion grows to be about 420 pounds, that's the average, and these guys knew they were in trouble, so they literally had to pack all their stuff up and move out to the countryside with Christian the lion, and so they go out there, and they're just playing with this lion, and the, the more they get to know him, they realize, you know, this playing needs to turn into some training because, uh, you know, this lion's got all these instincts, and so how do we develop its instincts so it is a lion and yet keep this thing safe from everybody else? And so they have this dilemma, and finally one day it just dawns on them. It, it, what hits them is what every one of us know in the room. This is a, a bad scenario. This is wrong. And they realize we can't keep doing this. This lion Christian is not a stuffed animal. It's not a toy. It's not a plaything. This is a lion, and lions were meant to be free in the, in the wild. Somehow, we got to get Christian the lion back to Africa, and so, so they literally embarked on this task, and it took all of their money, all of their effort, every connection they could make to, to finally convince the government of Africa to take this thing back, and um, they, they embarked on this journey to go and to release Christian into the wild. And the one vow they made was that they would return one year later and see how Christian was doing. And so at, at this day when they let the lion go, they, they just, the questions they had for themselves are, number one, is Christian going to make it out there? You know, is he going to survive? And number two, when we show up, 
is he even going to remember us anymore? Um, so anyway, I, I could tell you what happened, but I'd rather show you. So roll this video from 1973, Orlin. Pretty cool. The... Um, uh, many of you have seen that before, I'm sure, but uh, if you Google Christian the Lion on YouTube, it, it pops up everywhere. There's a documentary behind this thing. It's incredible. In that, that moment where Christian came down, um, you know, came down the little, the little mountain pass, the rocks there, what we see is, hey, Christian's coming. He trots over. There's like a guy with a tranquilizer gun ready to drop that lion. They, they were terrified. They had no idea what happened, and I love at the end that even the lion wife comes over, and he's like, well, you know, you guys are okay with Christians, so I guess you're okay with me, and it's just the sweetest thing, but the, the reason I want you to see that today is that this, this does not illustrate perfectly, but it is a beautiful depiction of the mission of Jesus Christ for humanity. I mean, what you're seeing here on the part especially of Ace and John and all this work with the lion, it really captures God's heart for us. Um, I, I want to read to you about uh, Jesus from the book of Isaiah. The prophet is writing about him, about Jesus, who will come as our Messiah 700 years before he shows up. And listen for some of the themes that you just see, seen on the screen. Um, God is speaking to Jesus here, and he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. So God is saying, not just for Israel, but we talked about last week, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I will give you to the people as my covenant with them. Through you, I will reestablish the land of Israel, and I will assign it to its own people again. I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom. To those in darkness, come into the light, and they will be my sheep, grazing in green pastures on hills that were previously bare. They will neither hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters, and I will make my mountains into level paths for them. The highways will be raised above the valleys. See, my people will return from far away, from lands to the north and west, as far south as Egypt. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on them in their suffering. Now, in some of your Bibles, that, that little passage reads, the Messiah's mission and again, it really captures the heart of God for you and I, especially when, you know, we, we want to kick ourselves for what we're not, for what's missing, for how we fail, how we failed. Instead, we see the heart of God. We see the mission of Jesus Christ, why he came here. And if you look back at the last three sermons and through the Gospels, what we read in Isaiah and, and really what we see on screen just now, this is Jesus, every action. Every word, every movement, everything he does in the Gospels boils down to a three-part mission for you and I, for humanity. And that, that three-part mission, it is rescue, it is restoration, and then there's a third part that doesn't get preached that often because we don't quite know what to do with it, but it's, it's actually release. And it's our rescue, our restoration, and our release. And when I say the word our I mean everybody who's ever walked on this planet. 
This is what Jesus has come to do. This is his message. And y'all, he never deviates from it. You know, there's never a plan B on the part of Jesus. So when, when we start with our rescue, well, it, it, it's pretty simple. You and I are like Christian the lion, you know? We were born into captivity. Whether you know it or not, we were born into captivity in this world. Every generation that came before us, but before you and I, were all born with the same label, the same status into the same world. We were born prisoners of sin. We were born spiritual slaves, people who have never known freedom. That's who we are in the beginning. But then he comes, right? Jesus Christ comes. He comes for us. He dies on the cross. He is raised to life. And then he throws open the door of heaven. And he says, if you will have me, you will be free. If you'll accept me as Lord and Savior, you don't have to be chained ever again. Come into freedom. And I love that about Jesus. I mean, you, you, you know, like the song says, you know, I'm looking for a hero. Well, there he is to do this for us. But it's not just that Jesus delivers us from, from sin alone. Jesus comes, and he, he, he comes to deliver us to a better state of being. You know, it's not like we get saved, and the goal then is to just kind of wait around for heaven, you know, get by down here. That, that, that's not what happens next. Jesus comes, and he brings restoration into our lives. And we can say, well, well, restore what? I mean, I've been a prisoner, a slave all my life. What is there to restore? You know what it is? The image of God. Jesus comes to restore the lost image of God to humanity. And in a sense, we've always sort of had it, you know, the ability to reason, and, you know, we're above all creation. But Jesus comes to, to restore our minds and our hearts and our affection. Jesus comes to restore to us our destiny, what we were created to be. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most common themes of every lost person, you know, they, they may have found something that sort of fits, but you talk about destiny. You talk about a plan for their life. W without Christ, we have no idea. Jesus comes to restore that to us. So that's rescue and that's restoration. Jesus setting us free and then Jesus showing us how to live and making it possible for us to really live free. And then there's one more thing that Jesus does if we will let him do it. And I think we miss it all the time in the church. And we've seen it, by the way. We've seen it with every character we've talked about, okay? I listed them out here. Um, we, we, we saw it with the woman in the well. We saw it with the demoniac. Uh, we saw it with the, the deaf man last week. We saw it with the woman with the demonized daughter. And we saw this dynamic with the 4,000 he fed miraculously, and by the way, we've seen it with the woman caught in adultery. We see it with Lazarus. We see it with Zacchaeus. We see it with the disciples. We see this with every single person that experiences the salvation of Jesus. And it is release. After he sets us free from sin, after he shows us how to live, what Jesus does next for you and I is he does not take us and just plug us into a religious institution. Have you noticed that? Jesus doesn't do that. He, he doesn't take us and connect us to some kind of religious matrix. Instead, time and time again, what Jesus does with those he saves, he rescues, and he restores, is he sends them back into the world they came from. 
And like Christian the lion, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know his whole story because I wasn't there. I mean, I was, I was alive at the time, but I wasn't with Christian. He goes back into the wild a much better lion. Jesus sends people back, and they are better, so much better than they were. Free, alive, fulfilled, Jesus releases people. He sends us back truly free so we can do what? Man, so we can lead other captives to freedom. That, that, that is the heart of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I've just, I've just uh, spoken to you, the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. When every church goes, you know, I wonder what God would have us do as a people. This is it. You know, it's rescue, it's restoration, it's release. This is what Jesus gave us to do. And I'll tell you this, and, 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 and I've been part of the problem at times in my life and my ministry. Anything besides the Great Commission is really a perversion of God's plan for the church. Anything that veers too far off course, anytime we wander far from this, folks, we've missed it. And, and that's why, you know, you wonder. Have you, have you ever noticed with Jesus that there are people that get caught in sin, okay, and they show up in the pages of the Gospels, and most religious people, I mean, you, you think, you know, whoa, this guy's gonna get it. This, or, or this woman caught in adultery, Jesus is gonna let her have it. Zacchaeus, he's gonna get killed. What does Jesus show up to them with? Compassion, kindness, grace, goodness. But th there is a group, there's a group of people in the Gospels that Jesus is consistently hard on. I mean, it's just like, and we read him talking to them, we're like, Jesus, how could you use such language? Jesus, how could you be so fiery with this group? Anybody want to guess who these folks are? Yeah, they're the Pharisees, the religious. Listen to what Jesus says, okay? This is one of his brutal rebukes, brutal rebukes, okay? Matthew 23, 15, listen to what he says to them. Woe to you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you do, when you succeed, you make them twice as much, of, uh, twice as much a child of hell as you are, or in some Bible, Bibles, twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus just said that. What is he rebuking them for? You know what he's rebuking them for? He is rebuking them for the something else the something else beside the mission of God, getting caught up in something else beside rescuing the lost, seeing people restored for losing that themselves and for definitely losing it when it comes to ministry to other people. And what he's hitting them for here specifically is these guys, these religious teachers in, in, in Scripture when he comes, they have been building a religious institutional empire when all along they were called to be building the kingdom of God. Jesus is, he's rebuking them for obsessing over temple activity. And look, there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff that went on in the temple back in that day. But these guys have made the temple and the activities of the temple their whole life. What they've missed is, is they themselves becoming temples of the living God. That's a big difference. Here you, you, you have a group of people, they have reduced God to a formula, you know, they've reduced God to, to a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations. And again, some of them are okay, but a whole lot of them are man-made here. And the worst of all, for spreading that perverted infection to other people. For drawing lost people into all of this and actually making them more lost than when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law found them. 
give you an example of what religion looks like today in our world because we read this and we go, well, this is a bit foreign. When I was in um, NASCAR, I had the opportunity, a great privilege, of sharing Jesus Christ with the driver and his wife. And I wasn't the only one. There were some others of us, but, but I had a chance to share Christ with them, and they got saved. They came to Christ, and it was amazing. I mean, you, you talk about night and day, people living for one thing. Suddenly, their whole world has changed, their heart and their mind. It was amazing for about a month, Okay. And after about a month, some religious folks, some really strict religious people got their hooks in them, and they blasted them with both barrels of religion. And so all of this for them, the love of God, the life of God, the newness of God, just freedom from sin and freedom of eternal life, all of that gets replaced with a bunch of man-made religion. And the way I discovered it was one day I, was, I, I went out, um, it was early in the morning, hours before the race, and I saw the guy's wife and she's walking around the inside of the track. Now, not on, the, on the, uh, the pavement, but she's just making this big loop. And the track was about a mile long. So she makes this big walk. And I thought, well, maybe she's exercising. Well, she takes another lap. And I'm like, man, she's like a mile and a half in. She is just really getting a workout. So on the fourth lap, I said, I've got to find out what she's doing. So I walked out and I said, hey, what's going on? What are you doing today? And she said, I'm prayer walking. And I said, well, you're prayer walking, that's fantastic. You're out here praying for your community. That's, that's beautiful, what a great thing to do. And she said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. So-and-so told me that if I would walk around the inside of the track seven times and pray, that God would knock down all the obstacles in my life and he would give me everything I wanted. And she said, and here's the list. And literally, she unrolls this thing and I'm like, goodness gracious, this is like a, a Santa Claus cartoon. You know, a little kid, and I want this, I want that, I need this, I want, and I just thought, oh, brother, no, it's not happened to you too. And the lights went on and I went, wait a minute. It made me think of her husband. I thought, you know, he has been, he's been a little surly lately, you know? So I, I, I said, well, I'm gonna go, go find him. So I tracked him down. <laughs> no pun intended. I tracked him down, and I, I said, hey, man, what's going on? And uh, he said, well, you know, I, I, I am kind of struggling now that you mentioned it. And I said, well, what, what's the problem? And he said, well, so-and-so told me that if, if I read the Bible like an hour and a half a day, I obeyed all the Bible rules, I showed up to everything I was supposed to show up at, I prayed this way, then my life would be blessed. And I've been doing all that stuff, Steve, and I haven't won a race since I said yes to Jesus. Something is wrong with this whole thing. And, and I think the lesson for the church is this. We've got to beware of that same disease. It threatens the church in every age. I think for, for, for me, just thinking back on them and, and, and reading even Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees, you know, the, the answer to the question, well, who are the Pharisees of today? They can very easily be us if we're not careful. It's so easy to just slip into this thing, into this, I don't know what to call it other than kind of the, the, the sons of hell disease, which is instead of the church just being caught in this beautiful ministry of, rest, of rescue and restoration and release and that happening to us and because of us happening to the world instead, it's just so easy in the church to kind of slip down that dark alleyway and you know, the problem with alleyways is they all dead end, you know, that, that dead end of religion. And I'll tell you today there's an antidote for this. And I don't know if Shiloh actually stole my notes and read this or not, but there's an antidote for this. And the antidote begins with us actually understanding the principal difference between religion and 
Christianity as it's presented in the Bible. And, and it is murky because, you know, religion will use a whole lot of Jesus, you know, talk a whole lot of Jesus, but there's a real difference between the two. Tim Keller defines it, and, and I just have to give him credit because he defines it so clearly and so beautifully. And he says this, the difference between religion and Christianity is that in religion, God is useful to you. But in Christianity, God is beautiful to you. And that's the difference between the two. In religion, God is useful, but in Christianity, God is beautiful. And so, so what happens so often in religion is we, we teach people that our goal, the aim, the, the aim of it is we want to, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of get our God happy with us, keep God happy with us. And if we can just do that, you know, if we can keep God happy, then we, we really will have a blessed life. And so these new converts, what do they need to do? Well, they need to pray right. You know, they need to read the Bible right. They need to tithe right. They need to dress right. They need to behave right. They need to think right. They need to do all of these things right. Well, okay, then let's define right. What is right? Well, in that system, right is like everybody else does. If they will do it just like we do it, you know, they'll be fine. They'll be good. We'll all be good together. Now, let me say this. There is another institution out there where everybody needs to dress alike, behave right, and keep somebody happy or else. Can anybody else think of what that, that other institution is? It's called prison, Okay. The institution's called prison, the participants are called inmates, and the person we better keep happy is the warden or, you know, the, the guards who, who are looking after us. And that literally is what Jesus is saying to the religious in this passage. He's saying, look, don't you dare rescue people out of Satan's prison and then march them over to your religious prison and lock them up. It's a terrible thing to do. And, and, and so the question I believe, at least the personal question for me, is, well, God, how do I make sure I'm never that guy? Lord, Lord, how do I make sure as a pastor who's leading others, I'm not taking people over, over to this place. How do I know if it's happening to us? And the answer came back to me as just like lightning. And we're holding with the prison analogy, there is something that happens to inmates who are locked up over a long period of time. I don't know if, if you've ever talked to anybody who's like been in the joint for like 25, 30 years. It's called institutionalization. They become institutionalized. In other words, they have been locked up for so long that they can't live in the free world any longer. That can happen to us spiritually, believe it or not. And for them, what happens is the outside world just becomes so foreign, so unfamiliar, and so scary that they just rather stay locked up and go free. So some of them commit a crime as fast as they can and get back in there where at least that's home for them. And so I think for us as Christians, there's some di diagnostics here. And, and, and some of the ones I've just been saying, Lord, you know, check my heart on this is when we, first of all, when we begin to lose our heart for lost people, you know? I mean, we, we, you know, we feel bad for them maybe. You know, we used to be one of them, but, you know, I hope they get their act together. There's room here for them, but, you know, does our heart break for the lost? I've got to confess, a lot of times, mine doesn't. A lot of times that word that, that I speak like a cuss word, them, sometimes I say it. But a lot of times, you know, I, I don't see the passion that, that, that I need for them. And I think it's so easy when that begins to happen in the church that we judge the world on the outside. You know, we, we, we avoid the world on the outside. We're, we're appalled at them. 
And then when you look at the church and you realize, oh my goodness, everything we do in the church, and this happens everywhere, everything we do in the church is pretty much for us, isn't it? You know, the programming is for us and our kids. The services are for us and our kids. When you look at, you know, take the money off that we send to, to missionaries across the world, it's, it's pretty much all become about us. We've programmed them right out of the life of God that we're experiencing here. I tell you, when that happens in the church, we are either in danger of being spiritually institutionalized or we have become institutionalized. And the truth of it is, is the church of Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves actually not being a whole lot of good for God out there anymore. I see signs of this spiritual virus infection, this fungus in my life. And I tell you, watching this video, reading through this scripture today, just considering freedom, the heart cry that I've had all week long is, God, I want to be like Ace and John on the video. Father, I want to be free. I, I, I want to look at what is happening around this country and the religious empires that are bu being built, and I want to have the same response these guys had over this lion to first stop and say, you know what? This isn't right. It doesn't matter how many churches are doing, Lord, it's not right. This isn't what we were made for. This was all meant to be about the great commission and the greatest commandment of Jesus Christ. Jesus always meant for the church, for us to be a community of free people. People who are experiencing what we read in Isaiah, you know, where, where we, we get rescued. We are being restored. We, we, we just have this spirit of release about us. We experience the love of God and we celebrate. We celebrate. We look for. We camp out around the beauty of God. And so today, I would ask you the same way I would ask myself, is our God useful to us or is our God beautiful to us? And I would just suggest strongly to you today that the answer to that question makes all the difference. I believe the answer to that question, saying, oh God, let it be your beauty, I believe it, it, it's the answer, that's the key to finding the passion of God the compassion of God for embracing the work of Jesus Christ. And listen, I'm like some of y'all. I grew up in a church in my early years where it was like we got out there and we did all this stuff, but it was drudgery. It was like, oh, we got to go knock on doors. Oh, we got to shove Bibles down people's throats, you know. Oh, we got to confront them with these questions. But, but when we get in this place, the heart of Christ for the world, I tell you, serving him becomes a delight. It becomes a joy, and it's as natural as breathing when we get there. Oh, God, may this be true of us. For us, may we, KPC, may we see and celebrate the goodness of God. As we go into vision, over the, and next week Bruce Anderson's preaching, so you can give him a little yay. I don't know if you hear Bruce. But after that, the week after that, we are actually going to go into the vision, okay, what, what God has given us as a church. And I'll tell you, it's all about this. And, and part of it, one of the big things I've been praying for us with all this vision stuff is, Father, I pray that you would cause there to be a cultural shift, a real cultural climate shift, that we would be people who we just get so lost in the beauty and the majesty. You know, that we'll be like Moses. Instead of coming to church and say, well, you know, I wonder who's doing worship today, or, well, I wonder who's got the offertory, or I hope the pastor does a good job and doesn't put us to sleep. We are so far beyond that that we're like Moses saying, God, just show us your glory today. 
Lord, just light us up. Fill us up, and Lord, send us out here. Just, God, that every shackle in our lives, because we still got some shackles. God, may every shackle just fall off as we celebrate your goodness and your glory. God, would you, would you fill us up from week to week so we're not like a lot of the charismatics around the, the church going, oh, gosh, God, when is revival going to fall? But, you know, we're just going to be a living revival. I think that's the promise of Scripture, And that we would take our place in this world as rescuers, restorers, and releasers. And thank God my personal assistant is not here to tell me that at least two of those are not even words. But God God would, and really even on this Father's Day, that we would get the Father's heart for the world. Fred Teagle says something. I think it's so much fun, but Fred now we're, <laughs> Fred has a lot of fun things, but um, one of the things, Fred, we were talking at one time about just, you know, how in church sometimes Christians can get kind of catty with one another, you know, you know, just kind of scrapping over the color of the carpet or I don't like where this was. We can get catty. And, and Fred looked back to me and says, you know, that's actually what happens when an army stays in camp too long. That's all there is to do is turn on each other. And I said, and God, that's what we want to see shift. But it's about the Father's heart. So I want to pray for us. And um, God, just I, I pray for your people. I pray for myself. And Lord, it does no good for us to, to kind of put on this cheap Halloween costume like I used to wear when I was a kid, this plastic thing and act like, you know, everything in the church is, is, is great. Every one of us has got it all together. Lord, there's never been a church like ours and no pastor like ours and no worship leader like ours. And God, we can do that all day long. But the truth of it is, is that Lord, you are building your kingdom. And you long, you long from scripture for there to be heaven on earth. And that means heaven inside of us. Father, you, you long for us as your people to carry the Father's heart. And so I pray on this Father's Day that, God, you would impart your heart into every one of us. And that, Lord, even like that song Shiloh ended, ended with, Lord, we, we would just be at this place where our song, our life song is, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Oh, God, you're beautiful. And I just want to take that beauty. I want to take the beauty of your word. God, I want to shine it. But Lord, I also want to live it. So God, do it to me. Do it in me. And Father, would you just, Lord, would you infect the world with your love, your salvation. Father, may we just see people released all over this community. Better fathers, better mothers, better workers, just filled with the goodness and the grace of God. And Lord, I prayed this at a church one time and it got me in so much trouble, but I'm gonna pray it again. Father, for KPC, I pray that you would give us the ones that nobody else wants. And I just ask you, Lord God, to turn them into trophies of your grace. But Lord, even to pray that, we're giving you permission to do the same thing in us. So Spirit of God, have your way. Love your children today, Papa God. And do something amazing with us in Jesus' name. And not just with us. But Lord, let it begin here. In the name of Jesus Christ, we love you, Father. Amen. Now, y'all go love on some papas, all right, today? God bless you.